I've got a word for you today, and so we're going to go to the book of Philippians again. This, this is a part of a series that we're calling Stress Test. Anybody ever taken a stress test? And I, I told you last week that I took a stress test online. I'm all like, I'm going to figure out, am I, am, am I stressed? I didn't like the results. <laughs> Apparently, I'm stressed. And uh, I talked to someone else, and they were like, we took that same test. And I'm like, what was your score? And uh, they're more stressed than I was. So I felt good about that. Uh, but but we, we live in a time, a culture, where people are stressed. And uh, I want to talk from the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church of Philippi, on some keys to step into a place of peace. How good does peace sound? Well, peace sounds good. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 11, it says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned, this is a key word, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. If you missed last week, we learned that Paul, when he wrote this letter to the church of Philippi, he was in prison. Not only was he in prison, he'd already been in prison for over two years. Not only was he in prison for over two years, he was falsely incarcerated. That means that that he, he didn't belong where he was, but that's the place that he found himself as he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, and he says this, I have learned, I've been educated, I've taught myself how to be content. I mean, think about that, if you could market that and sell that. Hey guys, got the secret. I have found this, this, the secret, the secret sauce to being content. People be spending all kinds of money, I'll pay you monthly, for, it's free, It's free. Paul has it in here. Some of us would rather pay for contentment than do what the Bible says. Paul says, I'm going to give you some steps in how to find the secret to being content. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to learn how to be content? Just just ask that of yourself. Am Am I willing to learn? Because I think most of us, we figure life out. Let's just kind of like see what happens. Let's see if I get enough so that I'm content. Let's see if I make enough so that I'm content. Let's see if life gives me enough so that I'm content. But I want to propose this to you, that life and its contentment is not about how much life gives you or how much life takes away from you. Contentment is found in something altogether different. And Paul, in his letters, he begins to unpack this because he says, Now I am in want, I am in need, but yet I have learned the secret to being content. I, I, I've learned it. I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't love learning new things. I, I, I challenge myself to learn new things uh, because I, I, think that's what, I think that's what high level, level leaders should do. But I don't always like it. I like to ski and um, I've tried snowboarding, but I'm good at skiing. So I have to do something that I'm bad at. And it's just like, that doesn't sound fun. And oftentimes learning is taking on a challenge that you're not good at. It is beginning a venture that you might not be an expert at. That's why you're, that's why you're learning. 
That's, that's why. You learn. A couple, couple months ago, uh, I, I started doing some CrossFit. Now, I, I like to work out. I like physical fitness. And, um, and uh, it, it's like, that's, that's like my, my alone time. And uh, so I started doing CrossFit, which is a group thing, which is a little bit of a detriment. But I do it every once in a while because I want to learn something new. And there's this, this move in CrossFit, it's just, I don't know why they would even do it, but it's called double unders. Everybody knows how to jump rope, but they're like, let's spin it twice. I was like, isn't once good enough? That just seems right. It's called and so I'm trying to learn, I'm not good at it because I'm learning. It's really embarrassing actually, because you got these people all around you like, and I'm like, and, and, and I'm learning. And, and you know what's interesting? Let me just tell you this before you get, we go too far. What's interesting about CrossFitters, it's actually, let me, let me, just, let me, tell, you, let me tell you a joke about CrossFit, all right? Uh, I got it. An atheist, a vegan, and a CrossFitter walk into a bar. I only know because they told everyone within two minutes. Is that not the truth? Is that not the truth? Do you know how many CrossFitters it takes to uh, change a light bulb? Three. One to do it in record time, one to film it, and one to complain about proper form. And if you've ever done it, you know. The first rule of CrossFit, they don't teach you, it's just automatic. First rule of CrossFit, always talk about CrossFit. It's just, if you know, you know. Learning new things. Did you know that when Paul is talking about contentment, he is actually talking about an adventure of education and how we would teach ourselves to be content whether we have plenty or whether we are in need? Do you know how to be content? If your circumstances never changed, could you be content? Now, when we look at contentment, you can reverse engineer Philippians chapter 4. We'll go back a couple verses to verse 4. It says, rejoice. This is where we spent last week. Rejoice in the Lord. How many times? Always. I will say it again, just in case you missed it on the always. Rejoice. Now, listen to this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Anybody ever get mad at the Bible? Do not be anxious about anything. Easy for you to say, Paul. And then you kind of, then Paul's like in change, like, really, man? Like, come on. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let me help you as we get started. There are two goals for us. At the end of this series, or maybe just in your spiritual journey, there's two big goals. That I would be content, and I would be at peace. It is the two pursuits of our world right now, is that their heart would be at peace, and they would be content. They might be looking in the wrong places, but for us, as men and women of God, I want you to know that contentment is possible, and peace is possible. That this is the aim. Now, if this is the aim, how do we we get there? How do we get our lives there? Stress attacks everyone. It attacks everyone. You know, when I was a teenager, I was stressed. Now I look back at what I was stressed at then, and I cannot believe how weak I was. I look back at what I was stressed at five years ago, and I'm thinking, what was wrong with me? 
Stress is no respecter of persons, and stress does not make you weak. Stress can be good and stress can be bad, but prolonged stress usually manifests itself in some type of anxiety. Did you know your body will tell you, your physical body will tell you if your mental, if your mind, cognitively, you're stressed? What is happening in your brain will eventually translate to your body. Oftentimes, anxiety will manifest itself in ways and in times that you're actually not even feeling anxious. But the mind has been so worn down and you've been under such stress for so long, all of a sudden the body says, hey, wave the white flag. Watch out, something's happening. We talked about it last week that anxiety is not the problem. Anxiety is the check engine light on your heart. This says so, something's out of whack. Something is out of balance. The, the light is flashing. But, but when we talk about anxiety, it's really important that we talk about this, that, that, we, that our spiritual lives have to be practical and our practical lives have to be spiritual. When you're talking about anxiety, people get very, they get very sensitive because anxiety is real. And when we talk about anxiety, I'm not pretending to know what you're stressed about. You don't know what I'm stressed about, but we all deal with stress. And many of us deal with high levels of anxiety, whether it's social anxiety, whether it's anxiety on the job, whether it's anxiety in relationships, whether it's anxiety uh, before you tackle a project, whether it's fear of failure, but there is anxiety that tries to grip us. And I want to propose to you that contentment and peace is the antidote to anxiety. That, that there actually is a possibility. Now, now, when we talk about anxiety, you got to deal with anxiety how you got to do it. This is what we mean by practical spiritual. Is that you're, you, you might need to go to a doctor. You might need to go to a counselor. You might need to take some medication. You might need to do whatever you need to do practically to begin to get better. So when we talk about the spiritual side of anxiety, it is not at the expense of practical. So I, 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 don't just, I don't just pray and never exercise and never sleep and never eat good and never see my doctor and never talk about my pro. It's my spiritual life has to be practical and my practical life has to be spiritual. Did you a lot of stress comes down to practical living? Did you know that your money stress would go away if you had margin? I know what you're thinking. Well, if I had more money, I would have more margin. Good point. If we put into place disciplines practically and create margins in the area of rest, in the area of health, and in the area of finances, it will alleviate your stress load. If you alleviate your stress load, it will eventually ease off your anxiety, the anxiety manifestations. But today, and what we're talking about from the book of Philippians, is not the practical side. You can, you can go to your doctor, you can go to, you go to counselor, and they'll give you all kinds of stuff on, this, on, on, the, on the natural side. I want to talk about your spiritual side. I want to talk about your spiritual heart. I want to talk about what Paul's talking about in the book of Philippians when he says, I have learned the secret to being content. It was not that Paul had never encountered stress. It was not that Paul had never been anxious. It was that in the midst of it, he learned a secret, how to have peace that transcends all understanding and how to be content in the midst of his life. It was years ago, uh, now probably like 10 years ago, and um, I, I tell this story because I think for some people, when they hear us talk about stress or they hear us talk about anxiety, they say, you probably don't know what it's like. 
And so about, it was about 10 years, 10 years ago, we, we were in our houses before we had kids, and, and um, I had got up in the night, and I had been under a lot of stress, and uh, been working hard, zero margin, zero margin financially, zero margin in my rest, zero margin in any area of my life. Pastor Steve calls it redlining, just redlining, redlining, redlining. I got up in the night, normal, just going to use the restroom, and I passed out in my house. I passed out in the house, and, and um, I don't remember passing out. I remember waking up. And uh, when I woke up, there was paramedics in our house all around me. And um, I, I woke up like nothing was wrong. I woke up and said, hey, you, you, what are you guys doing in my house? Jamie's, like, worried, obviously. I'm like, why are these guys here? She's like, because you passed out, idiot. I mean, she didn't really say that. She was way kinder. But I'm like, get these paramedics out of my house. She's like, you passed out. You have been unconscious. And so we went through a series of tests and talking to different people, and we found out that my adrenal glands had completely failed. That I had adrenal gland failure, and uh, I, I, it, caused, it caused me just to black out. My body just stopped. We're done. Stopped. And it scared me. It scared Jamie to say, well, why would my body do that? Because once I came to, and maybe some of you can relate with this, I was fine. I was ready to go back to work. My body is waving the caution flag saying, hey, you have no mark. So when I speak about anxiety, it is not from the lack of ever experiencing or the lack of ever walking through this journey. I, I have felt anxiety. I do feel anxiety. I probably will feel anxiety. It is not a lack of spirituality to feel anxious. It is a real result of high stress for an extended period of time with no margin. But what I want to talk about is why. Pastor Steve and I, we sat down and had a talk after all this, and, and he said, Dustin, I'm going to give you a scripture that you've heard uh, probably a hundred times, but I really feel led to give you this scripture. It's in Psalm 127 verse 1, and he says, unless, this is what the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Now, I've read that verse a thousand times. I have memorized that verse. I knew it. And even when he said it, I'm like, really? Is that all you got? Psalm 127.1? Every pastor in the world knows Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, brother, the builders labor in vain. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment because I was trying to do something in my own strength that could only be accomplished with God's strength. Do, do, do you know that I found that anxiety usually finds its roots in some type of control? When I can't control the situation, I feel anxious. When I can't control the narrative, when I can't control my life, when I can't control my wife, when I can't control my kids, when I can't control my job, when I can't, when I can't, and I, most anxiety comes from something that you cannot control. And the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me how I was leaning on my own strength, my own ability, my own intellect, my own ideas, my own training, and trying to carry a load that was not meant to be carried by me. Unless the Lord... See, some of us are carrying burdens that we were never meant to carry. We are in the midst of situations trying to control situations that you have no power to control. We can't control if there's a pandemic or not. 
But the anxiety is in something that we cannot control. We can do our part, but you can't control who gets elected in a couple days. And it causes anxiety, but you do what you can do what you can do. But the things that are outside of our control is the thing that creates anxiety in our hearts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, it says this: Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? It's easy, easy to say, harder to live. Can anyone by worrying? Have you have you ever accomplished anything by worrying? Don't answer. Have you ever just like worried yourself right into success? Have you ever worried yourself right into breakthrough? Have you ever worried yourself into a better place mentally? No. Who by worrying can add a single ounce? Now, I'm not just telling you just don't worry. I'm going to give you an antidote in a second. But this is what Jesus was teaching even in the Gospels. He says, who? He says, who can worry? What he's saying is you are trying to control some things. He's talking about provision. He says, you're trying to control some things that only I control. And when you try to control something that you can't control, it can cause anxiety. It can cause you to be stressed out when you're controlling something that you have no ability to control. Our text in in Philippians 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, Rejoice. Rejoicing is the first step in your journey towards peace and contentment. This is what we talked about last week, is rejoicing is declaring God's goodness and even getting glad about it. It's getting happy about who God is. When's the last time you were just happy about who God was? I think church would be more fun if people came to church and they were happy about who God is. I mean, just sometimes people come in and you're like, are you all right? Everybody, everything going all right? I mean, 2020 is just expected. We're like, we know. We know. But did you know that rejoicing is actually thinking about cognitively and saying verbally the good things that you're glad about in God? It is a declaration. When you begin to rejoice, it declares your dependence on God. Not only that, when you begin to rejoice, it is a seed. This is really important to hear. It is a seed into your future peace. Because my rejoicing happens in my present problem, but it's, it's sowing into my future peace. And if you're not careful, you will expect immediate results from a seed just sown. Rejoicing is not a get-out-of-jail-free get card. Rejoicing is not a just-add-water peace and contentment. Rejoicing is sowing into a place of future peace. It's the first step, but it's not the last step. Rejoicing begins to pull me out of what I've been in. Rejoicing is the engine that powers my life towards peace. Rejoicing is the engine. I was talking to somebody this last week, and and they were like, that sounds too simple. I'm like, are you going to really complain about it being too simple? I'm not going to do it. It's too simple. Why don't you try it? I'm not going to try it. It's too simple. You're not even going to try. You're not even going to try rejoicing. Nah, rejoicing? Like, why don't you, and I, I, I told him, I said, why don't you write down a list of things that you can re- just rejoice in? I'm not going to write a list. Do you want contentment? Or do you, that's not going to work. Have you tried it? No, it's too simple. Like, forget it. Forget it. This is too complex for you to understand. Rejoicing is not everything, 
It is the initiator, it is the engine that begins to move you towards your future peace. Now, rejoicing. Now, the second one is really interesting. It says this, and this is where we spend the rest of our time. It says, make, in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, i got to be honest, when I read that scripture, I was a little confused. Let my gentleness be evident to all. It's bad enough that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. All right, I don't like that. But now Paul is saying, let your gentleness, let your gentleness be evident to all. And I begin to study it. And that word gentleness is a word epokia, epokia in the Greek. I don't know Greek. I googled it. It, it is, a, is a word that has this picture. It is patience, it's forbearance, it's gentleness, but this is more importantly the picture that the Greek has. It is justice, and when justice runs out, it is God's mercy. In other words, it is a yielding process to God's perfect plan. And when life is not just, God's mercy reaches in. So he says, let your epikeia or let your understanding of justice be evident to all, which is life isn't fair sometimes. But God, I trust you because where fairness ends, your mercy begins. This is what Paul is saying. He says, this is the secret, guys. We're like, be gentle. No, understand that we're justice. What, anybody ever felt in a current year like it's unfair that you're living in this year? Probably for a different year. In 2020, some people feel like, what? Why? Again? Now this? Now that? Epikia says when it's unfair, God's mercy steps in. So let this be evident to all unbelievers that the church does not say, God, why? The church says, Epikia, which says that the justice might not, might not be fair, but where there is an end to fairness, God's mercy steps in. So this is, in essence, what it's saying. God, I yield to your plan. I can't control the world, so I yield to your justice. I can't control other people, so I yield to your justice and to your mercy. It is this. I yield to God's plan. This is it, all right? It's really simple, but this is how you begin to move towards peace and contentment. I yield to God's plan. This is what he wants to do. What does he want? Do you know God has a plan for you? God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your family. Can you trust that plan? That's what yielding does. You know why we're stressed out? Because we're not sure if God's going to really execute on his plan. We know he has one, but is he all right? I mean, it's 2020. Is he sleeping? Where is he? I have to yield to God's plan. I have to yield to God's, this is going to be hard for somebody, to God's timing. So not only to what he wants to do, but when he wants to do it. Isn't that difficult? Sometimes we understand, yeah, yeah, God, we know you got a plan. But then we're like, but, but you should have done it. You should have done it sooner. This hurts down here. Hey, God, like we're, we're in some trouble here. Got some anxiety. Check engine light is on. Where are you? But yielding, let your gentleness, let your epikia be evident to all. Yielding is God, I trust your plan, but I also trust your timing. It doesn't stop there. 
uh, yielding to God's plan, to God's timing, but it's also yielding to God's ways. This is how he wants to do it. Do you know what I found in my life is that God uses some really terrible things to teach me very important lessons. That God uses very terrible circumstances. God doesn't cause them, but he uses them. And he uses them to teach me. He uses them to educate me. He uses them to shape me. In fact, Hebrews says God is a God who disciplines those he loves. So in his love, he uses the circumstances of today to shape me and to train me and to guide me so that I can be more like him. He is using what the enemy meant for evil, and he's flipping it. He's turning it for our good. This this is trusting how he does it. Have you ever looked back on your life and thought, Wow, God really turned that around. Let me ask you a follow-up question. When you were in the middle of it, did you trust that God was going to turn it around? You ever been in those situations like, God, where are you? And then like 20 years down the road, like, look at that. Look at God. My goodness. It always comes through. Yielding is trusting him before. It's trusting him in the pandemic. It's trusting him in the chaos. It's trusting him in prison. It's trusting him in what you're going through. And in that place, saying, God, I yield to your plan. I yield to your timing. And I yield to your ways. Can you trust him? Can you trust God? Because this, friends, is the beginning of the recipe to peace and contentment. It is saying, God, no matter what happens, I trust your plan. I trust your timing. And I trust I trust your ways. I I trust your ways. Epikia. When justice runs out, God's mercy intervenes. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God's not taking his hand off America. I don't care what anybody else is saying. God's not judging America. This is the world that we live in. The Bible says the world is in the hand of the evil one, but I believe that God is going to use what the enemy meant for evil, and he's going to work it for good. I believe the church of Jesus Christ is about to step into the greatest season of victory and the greatest season of advancement and the greatest season of seeing souls saved that we've seen in modern history. I believe all of that is happening, not because God did all this, but God's going to use all this to educate believers how to move forward in a place of contentment. I can't control it, so I might as well yield to it. Rejoicing starts the engine. Yielding follows in line. If you rejoice but don't yield, you will be out of line. If, If I rejoice but never surrender, I will never walk in true victory. If I'm going to move towards peace, if I'm going to move towards contentment, I start with rejoicing. This is speaking before I see it. This is praise before my breakthrough. This is declaring who God is. And then my surrender gets in line right behind my rejoicing. And I surrender. God, I yield to you. I I yield to your plan. I yield to your purpose. I yield to your ways. And then it has this little phrase at the end Little, little phrase at the end of verse 5. It says, the Lord is near. And this is where we're close today. The Lord is near was twofold. It was one that Jesus was coming back. And they said the, the time of his coming is approaching. But it was not just that he was coming back. It was that he was currently there. That his presence was there. Moses says this. When he was going out, he says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us. Do not send us out from here. He said, what will distinguish us from the other nations if your presence 
doesn't go with us. The people of God need to know and experience the presence of God. It's not enough just to have good teaching. It's not enough just to have good worship. It's not enough just to know all the scriptures and know all the cliches. It is not enough to do all of that but yet not have his presence. Have his presence. A couple months ago I was arguing with somebody. They were saying, well, his presence is just out there. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not available for us. And, and, and I, I told them, I said, as long as you think it's not available to you, it will not be available to you. A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, the presence of God is wholly manifested when and only when we are aware of it. God's here. God's present in your pain. God's present in the panic attack. God's present in the anxiety in your closet as you're trying to hide it from your kids and you're trying to get yourself together. God's present in that place. He's not absent from our fear. He's not absent from our stress. He's not absent from our anxiety. He's, he's, he's present. Right in the same verse, verse 5, let your epikia, let your gentleness, your maturity, your patience, forbearance of the justice that leads to God's mercy. Let that be evident to all. And just so you know, guys, just so you know, like when it feels unfair, God's near. He's near. Can I tell you something about the presence of God? His presence calms fears. You can step into his presence. Fear can go. But it doesn't take away what I'm afraid of. I know. That's why you need his presence. His presence will begin to calm your fear. His presence heals hurts. I'm telling you, the presence of God will heal your heart. I'm talking on our spiritual side over here of anxiety. The presence of God will heal your heart. I would never be able to forgive people that I've forgiven if it wasn't for God's presence. His presence. I can be outside of his presence and ready to judge. And I'm in his presence and I'm praying for people and forgiving people. It's like, ah, he, he heals. Things I thought I would never be able to do. Things that I thought I would never be able to say. Places I thought I would never be able to go. Because of the presence of God, I am able. It heals your, your hurts and his presence brings hope. It brings hope. I know for some of you, and I even talked to somebody last week that after the message, they said, well, man, I felt even more discouraged after the message. It's whatever preacher wants to hear. Because I've, I'm so deep in this pit, I just don't even know how to get out. And I want to tell you that you need to know that God is near. I'm not telling you it's going to happen overnight, but we're going to begin the journey. I'm telling you 2020 is not going to be in vain because you are going to begin a journey of moving towards peace and moving towards contentment. The goodness of God is going to be seen in your life because God is going to use what the enemy meant for evil. He's going to turn it and work it for your good. We're going to begin to move. Just start the process. If you're discouraged, start the process. If you're hurt, start the process. If you're discouraged, start the process. If you're depressed, Start just 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 start the process. I want to actually show you something real quick because we I was just like contemplating if we have time. Frisco, you alright? Just a couple more minutes. Bring those chairs out if you can. I want to show you this because I've, I've been like into visual learning lately. I don't know why. I want to show you something because I think sometimes we think 
Even as I'm saying it over and over, we think that peace is just going to happen instantaneously. That freedom is just going to happen instantaneously. Now, we believe God can. But I'm going to show you something. Peace and contentment is our destination. It is our goal. Rejoicing sits in this seat. Rejoicing does not follow. Picture this like a train, if you can. Use your imagination. Picture this like a train. The engine is rejoicing in who God is. God, you're good. What are we saying? Even when, you don't, even when I don't see it. Even, even when I don't feel it. God, you're good. I'm rejoicing. And rejoice in the Lord always. Always. And again, I say rejoice. This is the engine that begins to move me towards peace and contentment. Yielding sits in this seat. It follows the declaration of your mouth. It, it, fo- it just follows. It's like, it's, it's like another car in the train. It's just like you're yielding. Your surrender is linked to your rejoicing. So it just follows you. Now, if my yielding gets out of whack, it throws the whole thing off. My whole journey towards peace and contentment gets thrown off when I don't surrender. But when I say, God, there's some things I can't control but I trust you. I trust your ways and I trust your timing. And I, tr- I, I trust how you're going to do it and when you're going to do it. I trust that you have a plan. I come in line with my rejoicing. And then it gets even better. This is his presence. His presence follows my declaration and my surrender. Read the Gospels. Obedience unlocks the presence of God. Why does Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, why does he ask people to do stuff? Hey, go wash, your, go, go wash the mud I just put in your eyes off. Jesus, it'd been easier if you healed me and didn't put mud in my eyes, right? But it was the obedience that demonstrated faith that unlocked the miracle. So I rejoice, and it starts the engine. God, I trust you. I believe in you. You got this. We're going we're gonna to make it. Your word says you have a plan. I also trust that plan. I'm not going to try to control people I can't control. I'm not going to try to control circumstances I can't control. I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to surrender to your plan. And God, you're here. You're right in the midst of it. I'm not alone. I'm not on this journey by myself. I'm not there yet. But in my panic attack, in my anxiety, in my discouragement, you're with me. I want, I want this picture I was going to say to haunt you, but it's just that's a, to encourage you. To encourage you this week. Some of us think that Jesus is waiting at peace and contentment. Can I tell you where Jesus is? Right where you are. He's with you. In fact, it was always pain that Jesus was drawn to. It was all, Jesus is not at your place at the best version of yourself. Jesus is right in line with where you are. If you're mad, Jesus is there. If you're angry, Jesus is there. If you're discouraged, Jesus is there. So how do I move from here, Pastor? I've been here 22 years. How do I get out of this spot? You start rejoicing. You surrender to his plan. Oh, that'll set me free? Don't say it's too simple. 
until you try it. Rejoice and yield and know.